Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of work, which is something we've heard a lot about this past year. But I think this week it gets even more interesting because Microsoft introduced something called Microsoft Mesh, which is sort of their view of a futuristic remote collaboration, virtual meetings, software. And to talk about that, we have a great guest on, but before we get there, just want to say thank you for listening to the Engadget Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. You can always email us at podcastengadget.com. We may bring your questions into future episodes. So Microsoft Mesh, what the hell is this? To help us yeah, like, tell break me, it down. <laughs> well, first, let's bring in Scott Stein from CNET, uh, CNET editor-at-large, to chat about this. Scott, how are you doing? Hey, great. It's great to be here. Virtually. It's good, it's good to be on. <laughs> good to chat. It's our future. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we always like to get people on from different corners of the tech world. Um, I want to ask you up front, Scott, I know you've done a lot of coverage around VR and mixed reality and AR. And, uh, you know, I followed your coverage for a while now. Can you give us like just a quick, quick setup? What is Microsoft Mesh exactly? Sure. So, this is like the promise I feel like of what Hololens was was going to be, yep. and why it feels like a lot of in a lot of ways we've seen this before. Yet have we really? So it, it's really just a way for a lot of people to get together in one virtual space that agrees with mm. each other, and um, and and Microsoft's like umbrella for that is really large. Mm-hmm. Like the demos that we got to do, which we we'll talk about later, were on Hololens and AR. The keynote was in VR through their alt space. VR social app that they acquired. And they also want to fold in all other VR headsets, uh, practically right. uh, phones that are running AR or not, <laughs> 2D screens. So it's kind of like imagining Microsoft Teams expanded into cartoons and virtual <laughs> things. Optionally, you could basically, it's the Marvel, it's this whole thing of like the Marvel holograms <laughs> around the table, sure. you know, where sure. they're trying to make that happen. And what what are the uh, drawbacks and, and what are the magical possibilities of it? Yeah, and I think on a higher level, right, it is Microsoft Mesh is not a specific piece of software. It's not an app. It is a platform that Microsoft is going to let other people develop for. So I think the way they likened it to me, I was talking to uh, Greg Sullivan, their head of mixed reality uh, during my meeting last week, and um 
it was basically like he said it was like Xbox Live. It was a way that Xbox Live kind of unified uh, game console multiplayer and connectivity. And th- that may sound like boring work, but before the Xbox and certainly before the Xbox 360, getting a game console online, getting networking into games was really tough on the console level. Um, and Xbox Live kind of simplified that. It gave developers a way like, hey, this is how you do networking. This is how you do multiplayer. We have this whole thing set up. Just plug into this. So Mesh is this thing that other developers can start using down the line to power their remote apps and do all sorts of things. Um, Scott, we've seen, both you and I, we've seen Spatial, right? The virtual meeting software. How does that differ from what Microsoft is doing? Because I like Spatial. It's very cool. And they actually just recently opened it up and added like support for phones and computers too. But it seems a little more restrictive than this idea, this sort of like cross-platform, cross-device virtual meeting space that Microsoft is building. Well, I think that's exactly it. Like right now, you're seeing a lot of companies, and Spatial's definitely at the forefront, Mm -hmm. reaching out to a lot of devices that Spatial works on. So Spatial, in a similar way, works with 2D uh, devices, works with Oculus Quest, HoloLens. They're they're pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. But Spatial is one app, pretty much. So, you know, it's like they're folding in a lot of other work cloud services into it. And I'm sure Spatial, like a lot of other companies, may I'm, I'm guessing, would want to branch out even more. Exactly. So I think there are a lot of players in this space. But but uh, what Microsoft is looking at is, is more, like you said, more of that framework. So I think that that what they're looking at is not so much one meeting area, although that could be Alt Space VR or mm-hmm. Future Teams or whatever it might be. Um, but you know, they they had partners like Niantic uh, doing the Pokemon Go demo. You know, they have their <laughs> own world map strategy. So I think the idea is you, you hook in the service to that. So I think that's what's what makes it pretty different, mm-hmm. especially compared to, you know, I think the, one of the biggest VR players out there that's aiming for AR with Facebook, where, you know, the big question is Facebook seems to want to be putting everything into Facebook's world, but how much is Facebook going to reach out? And Microsoft is making a big bid uh-huh. to reach out to everything else. It is sort of, it is the difference between Macs and PCs, right? And the way Windows powered multiple different types of hardware, multiple manufacturers and whatnot, Max were just Apple. And it seems like we keep seeing that battle play out again and again. But uh, let's take a step back. Uh, we both previewed this stuff, and uh, I assume you got that giant Pelican case from Microsoft last week, too. Let's talk yes. about that and what those meetings were like. So what did you get in your box? Right. So, I mean, it's funny. because like, this is a gigantic <laughs> box Huge. of stuff. This is, like, this is like the closest thing to like trying to simulate a home virtual experience. <laughs> so they, they they sent this like loaner kit of this of just a gaming PC a, a HP Reverb G2 which are stuff mm-hmm. I already I had already yeah but I yeah. think we're we're already like these were like specifically hooked into launch smoothly into the pre build for for all the stuff but the really interesting thing for me was the Hololens too because to this point Microsoft had never let the Hololens two outside yeah. to anyone to to play around with as far as I know. It's been really just a handful of demos I've had. So that was, that's been, was really fun and interesting to see what it would be like in my home to use it. Mm-hmm. And the de- and then from there, there was like a two-part experience. One, which I wrote about is the, well, I wrote about both, but like one was really HoloLens-based, where Alex Kitman, uh, technical fellow, who's basically heading the, the mixed reality larger picture, um, 
beamed in and and connected with me and I did a demo of him with him of mesh in my my cluttered office. So what that looked like was, you know, cartoonish like, you know, this but very well pinned. So it was this table that appeared and then he hovered in and we met and on his end they did capture of what it looked like on his end with like nice capture equipment. But the second part so was he looked this, realistic, oh yeah. right? Like that's the thing. Like he looked photorealistic. Uh, I didn't have that meeting, but I saw like what he looked like during the keynote. He walks into this box, which is just surrounded by cameras, right? And it basically holoports him. Uh, holoportation was yes. the, was the word Microsoft was trying to kind of convey to us. But yeah, he steps inside this box. He gets projected into this experience, and you can see his full three D self, and wa- he's just standing in your room as a hologram, basically, right? So what's interesting is that that realistic part did not happen in my demo. So it's like oh, two okay. different levels. He okay. appeared as the as the cartoon, you know, and yep. and that was you saw this on the keynote. If you watch the Altspace VR, or if you see it online, um, if you've been in Altspace VR where you have basically these cartoon avatars, it's like you know, and also Oculus has them. There's a lot of these things because you can't scan your body in easily. Mm-hmm. So he appeared as that, and then so it was really just cartoon Alex Kitman. <laughs> and then <laughs> hovering without you know without without legs, and then to him I I created an avatar for myself which looked ridiculous mm-hmm. like cartoon sort of sort of me, and then <laughs> we we didn't actually see the real selves but what he was showing on stage like you said is a very interesting like kind of next stage move that they're they're exploring which is like the holopotation which um they were doing I think with an array of of uh, Azure Connect cameras you know like the yeah. depth sensing like a, a significant kind of a array that would capture you from all sides. But the idea is that you could do this with with a just one or even uh, mm-hmm. there was conversation about this happening with just a 2D camera with um with with software and AI down the road. And and there's stuff like that on phones a, a little bit. Um mm-hmm. so I think what the but then of course you have to set up a camera to do that. <laughs> so it's kind of like you can't, it wouldn't be in your headset. Microsoft it was showing that on stage before and after in this crazy dance party thing, but then also was one small note is that if you went to the Burning Man experience in Altspace VR mm-hmm. uh, last summer, it turns out they were like test driving this tech. Ah. Um, so so they said like some of the stuff for Mesh was kind of being explored experimentally there, especially mm-hmm. uh, Diplo and and Bariton, who was a um, like really active social presence uh, on Twitter. Um, he um, they had this uh, holographic presence, so um, they they were basically uh, doing the same thing, but like last summer. But I'm thinking about it because I'm going, were they using the same thing? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Scott, can you tell us more about like what this experience was like in your home? Uh, because I did a little bit of this too. I got a HoloLens 2 to test out. Uh, I went into this meeting with other journalists and uh, yeah, Microsoft's head of mixed reality. Um, it was really interesting, right? Because there was a virtual table in front of me. There were people all around me. I was just sitting right here at my desk as usual, but it felt like I was actually doing a briefing, like a group briefing like we used to in person with other people. Did you get any sense of that with your demo? Yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. it, it got to the point where, and I've only experienced this one other time with like, again, like that spatial, spatial was mm-hmm. working on this thing with where the AR, they were going to have AR people moving around your home. <laughs> I found that, um, and, and that, that idea when you have AR stuff moving around a real space, not only was it pinned really well, so I felt like the table like stuck yep. and I was able to move around it really easily. 
but like my body language started to become more like uh like walk around conversational so i found like i wasn't i got beyond the staring at a screen part which i thought yep. was really intriguing and yep. so that part like the way it lingers in my memory um <laughs> became really cool you know mm -hmm. in a lot of ways like the, the the some things on the hollands hold it back like the display on the hollands obviously like it not a lot of people have seen it yeah but not just a limited field of view but it's a little bit um rainbowy hazy you know the way it does with waveguides it's 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 still finding its way i think in terms of versus the crystal clear mm -hmm. type of resolution on modern vr headsets um but, so but even so that, like 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 I, I think what you were getting at here is that the way you thought of this right the way you experienced it was yes. different than maybe a meeting on your computer or in a vr headset like um the philosophy nerd in me is thinking of like the qualia aspect of uh what this means right the experience of seeing other people around you and also having an ar headset so you're still seeing the real world right it is like those things are around you in a very natural and organic way right yeah that's the wild part too and you mentioned mm -hmm. still seeing the real world around you is it, it the, the comfort of not just being able to talk with people but like you can pull out your phone although your yeah, face id yeah. may not work and you know and then you you can it just kind of check on things. Like I think I was, I went and like closed the door and fixed some stuff. And I realized he just saw me just, he read the yep. motions, but and knew what I was doing. And, um, that, that's like a really, it, it's about kind of a comfort level of behavior. It's mm -hmm. like the weirdest mm -hmm. thing. It's not like there is some teleporting reality, but it's also like, you think about like the zoom fatigue for me is like the rigidity, yep. um, mm -hmm. of like every, everything mm -hmm. is, straight on and here it's like you can kind of chill out a little bit you know and um yeah. talk and just do the things you would normally be doing and i think that's really fascinating plus the ability to look at things uh, as you can start having virtual things to look gotcha. at we looked at jellyfish uh you know like yep. a lot of standard immersive things jellyfish a giant whale Giant whale. Um, there's like hanging. a model of the moon a model of the earth that we were like passing around to and even though the hololens display isn't perfect it still looked like very high resolution like i could yes. peek in there and see like individual craters on the moon and everything um let's like i was going to bring this up towards the end but i do think it's worth pointing out now like scott there's a lot of talk about the apple ar glasses and what you know having a nice pair of glasses that was digitally infused is this the sort of thing you'd like to see in a device like that? And do you think that would make those things more useful? You mean like the type of thing I'd like to see? Or like like yeah. a, like a improved like hardware type of... Improved hardware, but also like if you weren't just wearing a HoloLens uh, headset, but in your glasses, you could just see these like virtual beings and holograms and stuff too. Like I feel like that would be a game changer for a lot of people. Yeah, it would. And especially if it got to the point where the resolution... And I know Microsoft's continuing mm -hmm. to work on stuff undoubtedly. Um, that just crossing over that gap a little bit, you know, some of the micro LED tech, which I haven't really seen in action, but like, you know, I think that there's stuff to come display wise that's going to um, take it forward and work with our, our mm -hmm. regular glasses. Although I, I really love that the HoloLens 2 fits over my glasses. I feel like mm -hmm. that's yep. still something I appreciate that it's like, it's pretty accommodating. <laughs> um, but it's more like a, a work visor, you know, I feel like I was. I, I look pretty nerdy in a fun way. Um, super nerdy, super nerdy. Yeah. Like, Scott, you spent a lot of time with uh, the Magic Leap uh, headset as well, RIP Magic yeah. Leap. I know you've done a lot of coverage around them. How is this, what the HoloLens 2 is doing versus what you were seeing from Magic Leap? Because I feel like that was the geek 
that was like the ideal. That was the dream of pure augmented reality stuff beamed right to your eyes. But unfortunately, they couldn't keep it up. Yeah, God, Magic Leap. You know, the hardest mm -hmm. part with Magic Leap is I just got to demo it so few times. It was so locked down that like, yeah. you know, the times I had it, the Magic Leap was cool in that it, it was, um, you know, so it looked so much more compact in a sense but mm -hmm. you, I, I it wouldn't work with my glasses so i had to get contacts every single time oh, to use it and yeah i I'd get my <laughs> get my keep my disposable contacts at hand in case there was a demo so that was annoying uh, uh they did have prescriptions but it didn't go to my prescription so uh mm. and then you have to get in inserts i i think with with also with magic leap they had the controller yeah but they didn't quite prove out the hand tracking you know and that's something that Microsoft went really bold with having no controller for the HoloLens 2. Everything is done with your hands. Mm -hmm. And that's that's pretty hard because even with the Oculus Quest 2, which I feel like there's a lot in common between the Quest 2 and HoloLens 2 in the in the ease of use, that is hand tracking, but it, it doesn't feel as precise in the sense that I wouldn't feel comfortable using it all the time for everything. Yeah, yeah. It's more and, like a nice added feature rather than the primary input, right? Yeah, so I think that lends a really like that that was the bet for microsoft was to get a more real life tactile feel and i i love like you know tapping on my wrist to open the menu mm -hmm. and tapping the buttons in space which do things sometimes that gets a little sometimes i want a shortcut it's weird but yeah I, but mm -hmm. i don't think anyone's come up with anything better and i mm -hmm. think that it's it's like definitely the model for where i think things need to start with and go so um, that's the big difference for me is like comfort interaction um, is like nothing I saw in any of their AR headset. Gotcha. Let's move on to like what we saw at the Ignite keynote, which wasn't using HoloLens, at least for the viewers, right? That was Altspace VR on various VR headsets. And Altspace VR is this company Microsoft bought a couple of years ago. They were basically a struggling virtual reality collaboration company, similar to Spatial. Kind of, Microsoft kind of saved them. Uh, but they used that tech, and then they gave us a new mesh-powered version of Altspace VR um, that could see. Uh, basically, could you describe it, Scott? Like, once you jumped into Altspace, what did you see for the keynote? Yeah, so uh, what I saw, it was hard to tell where the mesh played in at this point. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, in the sense, uh, Altspace already has these pretty elaborate virtual worlds, and Burning Man was a great example of that, how far it can go. But um, what you saw was this auditorium, and that was really cool is on stage... Um, there was this whole like, you know, uh, virtual presentation where Alex Kitman appears as a hologram of himself, you know, the actual him mm -hmm. wearing photorealistic, uh, like it looked very legit. Yeah. Yeah. Like wearing a HoloLens. It's it, it, the sort of stuff you'd see in like an experimental Sundance, like <laughs> VR experience. Like that was like right. produced, but not versus like being live. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and again, like at Burning Man, if you happen to see that Diplo concert, or uh, Baritone Thurston talking, they had that same thing. And I remember at the time being like, what the heck is this? I was like, I've never seen this. What what, what magic? Tell me about this. So What sorcery is this? Yeah. Right. So then he presented this talk, and then different things beamed in. Um, you know, he had an aquarium around him. He brought in OceanX, uh, the nonprofit, who's one of the early partners. They started showing VR things around, mm -hmm. but then they also had some people, again, appear as, as holograms with that holoportation as themselves. Holoportation. <laughs> holoportation. And James Cameron appeared. Um, uh -huh. 
talking about Avatar 2 a bit and um, wearing it. And also, and he, he's tied to that show, right? Because I wrote this up a couple of weeks ago. So Ocean X is doing the show called Ocean Explorer. James yep. Cameron is a producer. And they basically create this high-tech boat that's going to go around the world and do a lot of cool stuff uh, for underwater research. But apparently they are building a, what are, what are they calling it? Like a VR, they're calling it like a holographic lab or yeah, something. It's like a hollow lab or a hollow yeah, lab. <laughs> they have a table there, which again is like that, that Marvel or as they, as um, I spoke with someone from Motion X um, about this and they're very inspired by the tree scene in Avatar, you know, which is like, they, mm -hmm. they think of that model, but you know, you've seen this before in the movies, the big virtual map appears and you all gather around it, Death Star plans or whatever else. <laughs> and you, you figure out what to do. And they, they're building that on the boat, but also what's really cool is that it's going to use some of the submersibles 3D data and show you like the map of the floor of the ocean in real time. And they want to beam in people around the table. So that plays out. That's pretty cool. And that's cool. And like researchers from around the world can all work together and view this data that the ship is collecting. Like that is the ultimate and remote work collaboration that they're envisioning here. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty wild. And then they had the demo um, conversation. John Heckey from, from, from Niantic came in, talked about um, uh, Pokemon Go. Then they showed a, mm -hmm. a, like a concept video of, <laughs> first it was, it was cartoon Alex Kitman, which again mm -hmm. was like what, what I saw in the HoloLens too. Um, then they show him moving around in the idea of like, you know, could you play Pokemon Go in the real world with glasses sure. on with your magic mm -hmm. gaming glasses? I, I got to talk with um, with John over um, over another Teams meeting or uh, Zoom, I forget which platform it was. And then we talked about where they're going with this. And they're using the HoloLens too to model what future glasses gaming is going to be like. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And because, again, I don't think there's a better example of AR glasses at the moment than HoloLens 2 for modeling these interactions. Um, and can we describe what, what you saw? Yeah. What we saw in the video was he walks through this park. He sees Pokemon just kind of wandering around like the, the stuff I imagined as a kid. He sees a Pikachu jump in front of him. He opens his hand pulls up a menu, which is how all the HoloLens menu works, and uh, he feeds the Pikachu, and Pikachu is very happy. I can imagine this being like a thing we move towards after, you know, Pokemon Go on phones. <laughs> yes. We're looking then, at this right now, by the way, for yeah. the audio listeners, and I, I'm just like, the first thing I, I expected when we saw these Pokemon gathered at this person's feet was I wanted him to throw a Pokeball at them, but it still <laughs> looks kind of janky. I think this is what Scott was talking about when you mentioned, like, you want some shortcuts, like yes. the menu still takes several steps. It's still like yeah. you drag and drop the ball towards the ground instead mm -hmm. of holding it in your hand and tossing it. Like we're still a little bit yeah. far. I'm sure from we'll something get there. that's a bit more intuitive. Yeah, oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. This video is just CG. This video is nothing yes. of like the tech. Not yeah. actual. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> one one thing that VR has in its corner is that most VR controllers have gamepad like buttons. And they're really mm -hmm. helpful because you can like do quick reaction stuff. And then in, in AR, it's like, I have to reach out and grab things. Right. But the other interesting thing here is like, not just the Pokemon, but what they're, what they're really trying to explore is what happens when you invite a friend to like holoport in next to you. Yeah. And, and as they were saying in the phone, in the phone call or the, the chat, there's no real clear understanding for the metaphysics of that. Like it, uh -huh. it's very mm -hmm. weird. Like I think about it when Alex Kidman was in my office, he couldn't <laughs> see my office. 
-hmm. and I couldn't see his mm -hmm. office. But we had some things we agreed on. So if you're beaming in to play Pokemon Go, am I only seeing like your Pokemon in San Francisco? Or are you seeing mine in New York? Or are mm. we like, what the heck is going on? So I think that they're, it's like you have to agree on space. Um, yes. and, and there's like three worlds. Yeah, it's weird. So in a sense, I think that's a laboratory experiment that they're trying to work out with an acknowledgement that there will be other players in the landscape. Most definitely. It's it's funny because they announced earlier a couple of months ago that they're killing Minecraft Earth, uh, I think in June or later this year. And that seems like Microsoft's big push to doing a Pokemon Go like v AR, VR world type thing. I can imagine that being amazing. That's in a device that's powered by mesh, you know, and actually letting you step into Minecraft. Uh, did you have much experience with that? Like, do you think that's something they could eventually bring back and revive and apply through mesh and AR? Yeah, it's surprising that that's happening with, my, with yeah. Minecraft because I feel like it's it, it is very ahead of its time, and mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's exactly the model. Like, Minecraft is like they they have a killer app right in their pocket. Um, and it is already being used in so many different ways, including AR and VR. So yeah, I think it's a great place to start, especially since it's so versatile. You know, I, th I think like block universe and collaborative and education, <laughs> like it, I think that's, that's the way to go. But Microsoft, mm -hmm. like that's what surprises me is there's a lot of starts and stops in the landscape. You know, Microsoft will start one thing and then not do something else, or I'm still surprised there isn't more movement in the VR headsets. Or why aren't there consumer glasses? And Google moving away from AR and VR recently. Um, it's very weird. Xbox VR, yeah. where is it? You know, like Sony says new PS VR is coming, but we still Microsoft is not doing much for consumers aside from mixed reality headsets. Yeah. It's baffling. To just mm -hmm. because I feel that it, it obviously works on PlayStation VR. I mean, it, whether or not you want to use it. Um, <laughs> and you know, but it's 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 cool. And Microsoft has all those tools. So like, it seems like, you know, it's just their decision at this point to figure out what they want to do with it. But the other players are like, are moving and evolving. It's like this, I feel like it's this big AR VR poker game. It's great. It's great. Competition is great, right? Everyone is kind of pushing forward. Let's just wrap up the, the, uh, keynote talk because something cool did happen, right? Like Alex Kipman, I, I think at first, as we were watching that, uh, initial hollow portation, version of Alex Kipman, it almost seemed like 2D to me, right? Because the audience was all on one side of the screen. You could not go around him. Towards the end of the keynote, we get transported to this, uh, the Burning Man-like world that you were talking about, where you can freely explore the environment. And then there's um, Kipman, and then there's other people dancing in a circle, and you can kind of wander around them and see them in full 360 degrees. And then it's like, oh yeah, they are rendering everything here, right? That was really cool. And... Um... <laughs> And like absurd and interesting. <laughs> like I, I was self-conscious and also let myself go in it. But I, I, I didn't expect that everything would enter this interactive phase where you're kind of browsing around. And there was there were a ring of like, there was like a recorded video around of people dancing mm -hmm. that were more 2D. And then there were cartoon avatars that were us in 3D. And then in the middle was this bonfire with um, Alex Kitman, Guy La Liberté, who's the... Uh, founder of Cirque du Soleil, who's working mm -hmm. on this weird mixed reality immersive <laughs> theater concept called Hanai World. And that, it was like, and, and several other people were, were with them uh, who I didn't know. And then they were all like holoporting and I got really close. Like you walk past and kind of feel like they should see you and that yeah, like yeah. they were going to say hi. So it felt very successful in that regard. 
but everyone was casting beams into a fire and it was like a ritual. There was a dome of stars like and then all of a sudden the keynote was over and then we were like, oh, I guess we're going to go back into now. the real world. We're yeah, right. What's interesting right now, <laughs> <laughs> like a keynote where you suddenly end up in a mystical fire ritual. <laughs> hey, I mean, that's that's what I imagine always happening when I used to go to keynotes uh, in California. Sherlyn, do you have any questions? Like, what's up? Uh, Several. Like, sure I have all this. so, yeah. so, so, so many things to ask and say. So one, when you were talking about the um, glasses and having that meeting in your shared mm-hmm. space, I'm surprised nobody made a Kingsman reference. I know the Marvel reference was made. but this I mean... Is- not the first Literally, thing yes, that not, comes to mind. Come on. Come on. Kingsman. A lot of movies, they've done this where you Maybe put on Jarvis. these like really, yeah, yeah very, very light and thin looking glasses mm-hmm. and you're having an, a meeting with people around you around a table, Knights of the Round Table kind of. Um, and that seems to be where we're headed, hopefully, um, even if it's still far away in the future. We had a question from um, our video uh, director. Julio wants to know, I guess he's all about making the big bucks here. <laughs> is there advertising potential in hollow hollow oh god graphics and VR? Don't ruin don't ruin our beautiful holographic world <laughs> right. before it's even begun. You're gonna have to like <laughs> all the I'm pop-up sure. ads before you can see exactly. this person's face. You have to pay fifty cents or something. There have been there have been concept art videos about that, you know, like that that's that's the uh <laughs> dystopian mm-hmm. nightmare of being surrounded by all these things um very blade runnery uh sure i think that's the <laughs> battle right the battle over our eyes and our senses is like yes. a foot and i think mm-hmm. that's the even the whole discussion about facebook and about like what they're going to do with all of the, the the data the questions about privacy and you know wh- wh- where do these controls begin and end yeah. I think every uh, there's gonna be a lot of questions about that because then you start letting that stuff in and Sure, you got floating hamburgers and I don't know what else. <laughs> For sure. I mean, and, I mean, so yeah. sorry. There's, there's definitely a way to monetize this. I mean, Julio mm-hmm. added on and said that all you want to do is buy IRL skins. I think, like for your avatar, if you can buy some fresh fits. If you spend extra money, it's very Black Mirror like. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dev, you were saying. No, no, no. I mean, that is completely true. Um, I forget what I even was going to say, but so please go on. Any more questions, Roland? Well, I oh think, yes, yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. go ahead, Scott. Oh no, I was going to say going into the skins. That's a really good point. I think yeah. maybe the analogy for ads may be right in front of us with video games. You know, it may makes makes me think mm-hmm. about you know look at Fortnite, look at mm-hmm. you know for example. I, I think maybe that's like the ad model. You know, where you have like branded things that come in and you get cool yes. gear and stuff that you know. Yes. There's like a trade off with it versus just being bombarded. Like if you bombard with advertisements, nobody's gonna go there anymore. So like you mm-hmm. lose. I I even have like this awful scenario in my head where like God, there's gonna be real drops of like sneakers for the sneakerheads oh, in the real world, and in the fake world where you want to buy a, a pair of shoes for your avatar, and you gotta line up in the virtual store or a PS5 drop in the in the virtual world. Mm-hmm. So like that'll be that'll be awful. Dev, did uh, you remember what you were going to say? Uh, no, no. Let's 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 move on. Um, I, yeah, NFT uh, holographic yeah. items. Never, exactly. We're getting yeah. there. Exactly. Well, uh, we didn't talk about this on the Tribeca, uh, Tribeca Sundance mm-hmm. episode of the podcast, uh, but I, I wanted to initially talk about this. Scott, me, you, and Davindra were actually in this shared space in VR for tri- uh, Tribeca Sundance, mm-hmm. and you and I shared a virtual hug. I don't know yes. if you remember this. <laughs> it was great. It was great. It was great. 
I was like, here's the thing. I was gonna say that like the experience though leaves me feeling like there's still a lot to iron out here, right? Like there were issues with the sun dancing, and granted, they're not Microsoft, but (laughs) there were issues there with like multiple avatars bearing your name popping up because what the server had an issue. You had to relog in, and your dead avatar is just standing in a corner, (laughs) staring at a wall, whereas your actual live avatar is running around. Meanwhile, also kind of strange is the like idea that next to your avatar is your name as your or on top of your head is your name. So like when I was looking for Scott, I wasn't so much looking for your face on your stick figure avatar. I was looking for your name and it, yeah. it's not that's not how the real world works. I don't think, right? We don't mm-hmm. run around with name tags above our heads. We I mean, I wish we did cuz then I'd remember people's names. So that'd be a lot <laughs> yeah, easier. That's what <laughs> would would help a bit yeah it was Mm -hmm. it was super wonderful and awkward like um and i think that's the whole sundance thing too when i came out of that and and like i got mixed reactions when i said this but i felt like the superstructure of the experience the semi-broken nature of it Mm -hmm. was like the more interesting most interesting piece of art like yeah and i don't mean that to offend any of the artists doing like i think the art experiences were great but like It was so weird to try to do this at home and load the builds of things and things would break <laughs> and you're troubleshooting over Zoom. And, and like, you know, I think that's like, it really felt experimental. So that's mm-hmm. what you're saying. It it's did. like, this is, this is an off-road type of a thing, even if you have experience <laughs> in VR stuff. And, um, yeah. and so I think that's like a real challenge. If you're going to get to this future, you need to have yeah. the stuff work without, even with the Microsoft stuff, there's a lot yep. of hands-on guidance that takes like Mm. still takes like an hour to get through and so like we're obviously not there and we need to cross that yeah um, yeah sometime it's easy it's it reminds me of like the beginning of the internet too when like yeah getting an isp setting everything up it was so hard and difficult and then all of a sudden we had broadband and we had like a lot of things that made internet access easier for everybody. So we're kind of getting there. Yeah. But I do think if you're if you're somebody who listens to the Engadget podcast, if you're a kind of techie, I feel like this is the most interesting time, right? Because you get to see everything built. Right. You get to see the nuts and bolts and you get to see like how this new medium starts to reshape itself and how mm-hmm. it like incorporates new rules and whatnot. So yeah, it's very exciting. Even though we talk about so many things being broken, uh, Sherlyn, Scott, anything yeah. else you want to add about Microsoft Mesh or where all of this is going, you think? I think it's super interesting to think about, like, we spent a whole year indoors, like, mm-hmm. yeah. away from people. And I think we talk about, like, what we did to get by with work. And, you know, I, I've explored VR and AR, but a lot of my work tools, like, they've all had to be not VR and AR because mm-hmm. no one mm-hmm. else is there. But I think companies are <laughs> are trying to solve not just VR and error, but like how you evolve these pretty limited tools that we've had. And so there's a there's a big push. And it's coming from all different directions, gaming and mm-hmm. and otherwise. So I think that's porn. what's so interesting. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. True yeah. truly porn. Truly. Truly. Right. Yeah. So like all this stuff, this is the point at which virtual starts for a lot of people. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's really intriguing is like you can go back to the whole history of VR and AR, but it's kind of being rebooted now. And I think I'm really excited in seeing that, how it reverberates off the companies and what people mm-hmm. figure out, resetting my own baked in expectations too. 
Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the Engadget Podcast, Scott. Where can people find you on the internet for more of your coverage? Oh, sure. Well, at CNET, um, I, I'm always writing and doing stuff there. Twitter, at Jet Scott, where I, I put weird thoughts all the time. And um, <laughs> and those are good. Those are the two best places, really. Excellent. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. So let's move out of the world of VR and AR. And actually, we were just talking about a bit about ads and what that could look like in the future. Yep. It turns out the ad world is kind of shifting beneath our feet right now because Google just announced some pretty interesting news about its mm-hmm. ad business. Sherlyn, can you give us like the explanation here? What's up? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I saw that you you covered the news for Engadget. Um Basically, a lot of the browsers in the business, including Apple Safari, Mozilla's Firefox, have committed to not supporting third-party cookies moving mm-hmm. forward. And for those who don't know, third-party cookies are what track your some of your you know preferences and your 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 uh, browsing behavior over the internet, so that other sites can use them to tailor ads to you. And so, with Safari and Mozilla saying they, or Apple and Mozilla saying, uh, at least like last year, that they will no longer support their party cookies, and Google saying that in January last year too, um, this has sort of been in the works. But this mm-hmm. week, Google announced that it plans to uh, adopt, like it kind of uh, told the world mm-hmm. what it sees as the future of creating targeted ads for you without yeah. third-party cookies. So basically. basically, like the core of Google's business, right? The stuff that actually helped their search engine business was not the thing that propelled the company. It was ads. It was it's being able to like, yeah, create personalized ads that track you around the internet. That is changing. And how is that mm-hmm. changing? Yeah. So, so basically, uh, there are like with third-party cookies sort of being phased out and the support of it being phased out across different browsers, um, all these advertisers and and businesses that support these targeted ads have had to figure out what are we going to do, mm-hmm. right? And so there are some proposals around the internet about like using things like hashed emails and like if you agree to give your email address to like one website and another and another. <laughs> Let's find other ways to, to track profile. you. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like when I was listening or like when I was hearing about that, I was just like, oh, that does not sound great either. <laughs> it doesn't uh, <laughs> sound great. Let me just no. say this news has led to some really interesting quotes from Google. And I just want to shout this out here. Like, can you imagine these words coming from Google like last year, right? People, quote, people shouldn't have to accept being tracked across the web in order to get the benefits of relevant advertising. And that's David Kempkin, Director of Product Management for Google's Ads Privacy. He says, and advertisers don't need to track individual consumers across the web to get the performance benefits of digital advertising. This is bonkers i would never expect google to say this yeah it's it's it is google taking clear stance so basically anyway um when when i said using hash emails that's one of the proposals that came out of the internet that's not what google is saying in fact google is saying that it does not want to do that instead uh when it announced it would be uh no longer supporting third-party cookies it said that it would be focusing instead on this thing called privacy sandbox which Mm -hmm. is its own set of tools that it's kind of accepting proposals for and and researching to see See what would be the best way to help advertisers still target you without you giving up your personalized tracking and data and that sort of stuff. So um, one thing that Google said this week it would be focusing on is this thing called Flock. And uh, Flock, I'm trying to get the exact Federated wording. Federated Learning for- of Cohorts API. So it's yeah. all about groups. So Federated, of yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So federated is a word that like Google has used in a lot of different like ML stuff across the like across mm-hmm. its product portfolio. But here, yes, FLOC flock is federated learning of cohorts. The keyword there is cohorts, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, it's groups of 1000 people and up that share similar interests. And so for them, it's like, let's say you like Nike shoes, then you're in the flock of Nike shoe lovers and advertisers can choose to target flocks based on stuff like that. So uh-huh. I want to, I, I make shoes. Maybe I'm a competitor to Nike. Let's say I'm Adidas, I guess. Uh, I'm going to target the, the Nike shoe flock. Or if I mm-hmm. make cupcakes, I'm going to target the muffin shoe, muffin shoe, muffin, muffin shoes. Yeah. <laughs> muffin <laughs> shoes. Business idea. You heard it here first. Um, so that's kind of going to be the way mm-hmm. Google is uh, tr- going to try to serve right. you ads in the future. And by and, and by targeting and, and, groups, they can never see you individually. Right. Like your right. individual data is not going to be visible, which is that. OK, I'm down with that. That seems good. I agree. And and one thing that has been made somewhat clear to me is that they won't so far the goal is to not go smaller than 1000. Right. So these cohorts are going to be at least 1000 people and up so that you're not so ad- identifiable. Um there's still a lot they're figuring out. It doesn't sound like they have intersectionality con- like considered yet. Like they don't know mm-hmm. if it's going to be like oh, Nike shoe lovers who live in this specific neighborhood um, even if that's like above a thousand still, they're still figuring it out. But right, right, right. the support for third party cookies in Chrome is phasing out over two years. So it'll happen fully in 2022. But Safari and Mozilla have already stopped. Like by default, Safari no longer supports third party cookies. So mm-hmm. if you already hate relevant, so called relevant ads being served to you, you can already kind of mm-hmm. use Safari, I guess, to avoid that happening. Mm-hmm. But there's, other questions, like for me, the bigger question here is like, okay, so App- Apple, Mozilla, and Google are doing this, right? But App- Google's not the only one serving tracking cookies. Facebook has its tracking cookie across all of its different ones. That's why like Instagram is so scary. I mean, yeah. of course, part of it mines some information from what already exists out there in other third-party cookies. But like there's Facebook and then there's Microsoft also makes browsers. Does Edge still support third-party cookies? Mm-hmm. I actually am not... Fully Edge, up to speed Edge on is based on Edge. Chromium now, so I do feel like they're going to follow whatever Chrome. They're going to follow and yeah, yeah, follow phasing it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's no real other like huge browser in the space, mm-hmm. I don't believe. So mm-hmm. this is this is a shift in the it's way a, the internet works. I would call it a disturbance in the force. Right? It is the <laughs> most powerful ad company in the world saying like maybe the way we've been doing this for so long uh, isn't correct. But <laughs> my question for you, Sherlyn, is this? genuine is google doing this out of the kindness and goodness of their hearts or is there like an ulterior motive here because we've they've definitely been hit by governments and others uh when it comes to privacy too yeah you know i as a i want to believe (laughs) that people are good and i want to believe that you know people are just doing their best and with google you know, I, I the vibe that I get and going on vibes now. The vibe that I get from like someone like Sundar Pichai is that mm-hmm. like yeah, they're actually trying to do their best. But you're right, like without being called out by so many different governments or or different regulatory bodies, would they have decided to do this? And if had Apple and uh, Mozilla not started saying they would stop supporting third party cookies, would Google have done it first? I highly doubt it. Like, yeah. I feel like they had to see someone else do it first to be like, oh, yeah, we should be doing that. Um, the truly great. bold move isn't being taken by Google, but they do recognize, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, there's something that needs to be done. 
And there's like this kind of follows everything too, like uh, the European Union's like push for greater privacy across the web, yeah. GDPR and everything. Kind of a flawed yeah. execution. A lot of people are complaining about that, but mm-hmm. I do think it kind of got the conversation going about what are what kind of world are we building here, where you know these ads are so granularly targeted and tracking mm-hmm. people and. As these things become more ingrained in our lives, we were just talking about VR ads and AR ads, right? I don't want a highly mm-hmm. specific personalized AR ad floating around my house, you know? <laughs> like, that is some Black Mirror it's, stuff, for sure. It's the thing where, like, the second you talk about something, like, I remember <laughs> one time I was talking to my friend about rumble boxing for, like, a workout class. And the next yeah. thing I know, Instagram was serving me ads. And I was like, I didn't even type mm. this anywhere. Did How? they listen to me? How? Exactly. How did it happen? I can imagine, That's like, having... Sort of Having a fight with your partner, right? And uh, <laughs> an ad just pops up. Couples therapy? Have you <laughs> right. Been that, about that's it? what feels right. Uh. That's what feels so invasive and intrusive, and that's what they're trying to avoid here. Now, I want to clarify that when you brought up GDPR, um, as a person whose understanding of the internet, it's a little bit, I think, different than most. Mm-hmm. I think I freaked out a little bit when they said, like, "Oh, no longer supporting cookies," because I was like, "Cookies." Like delicious. Are used on a lot of, well, yes. Yeah. But they're also used in a lot of different like things. Like they store information for your logins to maintain a session that's authenticated mm-hmm. and like your shopping carts. So I was like, wait, no longer supporting cookies. If you were one of those people that thought so, no, they're just not supporting third party cookies. So mm-hmm. like if a website has its own cookie to authenticate a session and to keep that session authenticated, it will still be supported. It's just the cookies that are used from other sources like Google mm-hmm. that will no longer be supported on. On, uh, on these browsers so you can still have like some of those experiences you don't need to think about wow the internet is really this like changing um in, in the way we know it and then the gdpr part of it like i had questions too right mm-hmm. like gdpr is also based on cookies right it's like it's it's saying that if you go to a website and then you are going to be tracking information and storing that on a cookie you have to let the visitor agree or choose what cookies they're going to accept and I was like, how does this work now? Do sites have to re-enroll? Do, you know, and my understanding is that Google is going to work on making sure it's compliant with GDPR still. So what I envision happening is that when this flock-based method does start rolling out, you might see like a resurgence of these agreements you have to agree to all over again. That's what I'm thinking. Seems like things are changing. We're going to be keeping an eye on this too, like just to make sure Google is actually doing what they say. But I think this is a major win for consumers. It's going to make life mm. harder for online advertisers, for you know the online ad business. But they have been, let me just say, I have very little sympathy for them because they have been basically yeah. feeding off of our data for so long. It's a huge, huge industry. Things are going to be tough as we transition to more privacy, but I think it's going to be for the better, right? Oh, for sure. I, <laughs> I mean, it would just be less scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can, I, I've never been too, too super concerned, I guess, about like, my tracking habit. I'm not. I don't know what y'all are looking at on the internet, but I'm not really looking at bad stuff. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm not I don't know. that concerned. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but it is a win for privacy and 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 like our own personal data being used to sell ads. And I think that that's where it feels like morally a little incongruous. So yeah. This what is else, a good move. What else is going on from Google? Because I feel like I was hearing something about yeah. phone updates too, right? Yeah. So on the product, on the hardware slash software product side, uh, Google has been announcing a bunch of news. Last week we heard about Android updates. This week we got pixel specific updates. And reader, viewer, and listener, please 
Bear with me as night when I tell you this because first of all, the thing that jumped out at me in this set of updates was underwater camera mode. And I was like, oh, oh, what's gonna happen here? Underwater? It turns out Google partnered with a case maker called Kraken. Kraken. Uh, <laughs> okay. Unleash the Kraken, um, I think. Yeah, and, release uh, the and, Kraken. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh to make a case that is so, you know, powerful, it will withstand deep water pressures, which is a big deal. The but then like the way it was worded, Google was like, "Oh yeah, the camera will work natively with this case now." And I was like, "Can I slap another case on and still have the same experience?" They were like, "Yeah, but like uh, this one's like going to be super clear." It's just basically Mm -hmm. they had like a purpose made case made for the Pixel phones. That's it. Like it's a three hundred plus (laughs) dollar case that you can take deep sea diving and it will allow you to use the camera on the Pixel as, like, you'd like. That's cool. Great. But this is why action cameras exist, people. Come on. Yeah. Right. That and, like, cool slap on an IP68-friendly case, I guess, Mm -hmm. or or 3ATM or 5ATM and take it to those levels, too. You'll be fine. Don't spend $300-plus for a so-called... A GoPro Hero 9 Black costs $350, you know, with the current discount, so... And it's not just a case. Jeez. Yeah. there you go. But uh, there are other updates coming to Pixels, one of which being Smart Compose coming to more messaging apps. Uh, previous, so Smart Compose is this thing where you, like, you type a few words and then Gmail or Google Docs would suggest ways to autocomplete that sentence. So like if I'm going like, hey, Davindra, mm-hmm. and then uh, Smart Compose will suggest what's up with the podcast or something. Like if it knows the context and if it knows what you typically would say. So... Um, this feature is coming to apps like Android Messages, Verizon Messages, Verizon's our parent company, by the way, um, uh, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger, some apps like that. So I guess it's about to get easier to type complete sentences on your phone. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then- I feel like they've been trying to do this for a while. I don't know what's up. Uh, he's, I, I'm an iPhone user. I feel like iOS uh, autocomplete has been getting dumber and dumber recently too so yeah i need some more Mm -hmm. we need some more innovation around this for sure that's 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 probably because google knows so much about you but anyway um (laughs) right so there's a couple other features like um new wallpapers for international women's day um and some charging like when you're there's a new interface for when you put the pixel on the wireless charging stand and that sort of stuff somewhat small set of updates but if you combine it with the android updates we heard about last week we're getting a bunch of new features for Android phones and Pixels um, this this month, it seems like. So good news, I guess, for those of us on Android and Pixel. Good news from Google all around. Let's move on to some other news real quick. Uh, over the weekend, the Golden Globes happened and uh, entirely <laughs> over Zoom and remote. And I haven't watched this entire thing, but by all reports, it is some kind of disaster. Oh, Sherlyn, wh- what's up? I, okay, so generally I don't watch a lot of awards shows unless like some, one of my friends are throwing a watch party or something. Anyway, <laughs> um, they're usually fun if you're like there for the red carpet arrival and that, that sort of stuff. Obviously with the pandemic this year, this couldn't really happen. And so the Golden Globes was sort of a hybrid event. Um, and I feel like it was kind of similar to... Was it the Oscars that happened fairly recently uh, mm-hmm. during the pandemic? It was somewhat similar in that it was also a hybrid event. Like there were people who took the stage to. It do, wasn't the Oscars. Like, we, we didn't have that yet. Um, that was. Oh, like, uh, it was another. Uh, I can't remember which mm-hmm. award show it was, but there was an award show. I remember where like 
anyway. Um, <laughs> but it was similar in the sense that like you'd have one person on an actual stage and and who was actually there, and then you had like these people zooming in, um, video conferencing in. So it was kind of a fun like lo- way to look at what some of these celebrities and famous people and what their zoom setups were like and that like kind of went viral but also it was a complete mess like it just (laughs) there were like i think daniel kaluuya when he was accepting his award for judas and the black messiah if i'm not wrong uh was was on mute yeah was muted for a full like 30 seconds and then when he finally came back or was brought back he said y'all played me dirty and i was like yeah "Yeah, they sure did oh man oh man and also (laughs) like uh the what i saw was like there were points where a lot of the nominees were just hanging out together in like a separate zoom room and before commercials like they would just go to that room without warning people like, Hey, by the way, you're on camera now. So you would just see random people just talking like a boring zoom conversation. It seemed like a complete disaster. I was just thinking about like our uh, wonderful video team here at Verizon media is able to like manage our live show every week. So gracefully. And uh, these golden globes folks like just didn't think about a lot of aspects of how these shows like what it would actually look like on TV and how it'd be presented. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you can watch this disaster on Hulu right now. It's on right? Hulu. <laughs> yeah, it's on Hulu. And it was, by the way, hosted by Tina Fey, Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually didn't watch it yet, so I don't know if they did a good job or not, but I'm sure they did. The The <laughs> best so line, good. though, yeah. mm-hmm. the best line that kind of went viral or made it into a meme anyway was like Tina Fey, I think, saying, couldn't this all have just been an email? And I'm like, 2025s and 2021. <laughs> Absolutely true. Absolutely true. And uh, yeah, worth pointing out, like this also follows like news from the LA Times about like the sheer corruption uh, in the Hollywood Yeesh. Foreign Press Association and all that. So go check out that reporting. It is not a great organization and the Golden Globes are kind mm. of a joke, but we still give it legitimacy every year. It is infuriating to me. Uh, let's talk about something that actually matters. It seems like mm. China and India are kind yeah. of uh, in conflict a bit. And especially yeah. China is kind of using its influence to um, just kind of hint to India that, uh, hey, we can we can use our malware to hurt your electrical grid. So maybe yeah. maybe let's not fight as much. Uh, what is going on there, Sherlyn? So basically, India and China have been involved in border skirmishes for a while. Yeah, and yeah. what happened, I think, in the last few months, I can't remember the exact timeline, but there were they, they got bad. And there mm-hmm. were like a dozen people killed over these border skirmishes. Right around the time that happened, uh, parts of India started to see their their power go out. Um, a, a, I believe, Bellevue, Seattle-based uh, cybersecurity firm was looking into some mm-hmm. of that and noticed that there was basically malware in the Indian power grid, uh, and it seemed to come from China. And so it was pretty crazy to think that like mm-hmm. a com- country has control over another country's power grid. Yeah, like yeah. you think when when I think it was like. Texas had a power outage, not power outage, but like the winter storm Just destroyed everything. Failed. Imagine that being compounded by having uh-huh. some other country have control of your power. Or grid. being intact. And That's this insane. is this is something we've been talking about for a while. We talked about that one yes. Florida town where somebody did hack into the water, you know, purification system and they were able to catch this before they poisoned the water supply. But yeah, they they it was like a proof of concept. They proved that they could get into that water system. Um, mm-hmm. This follows a lot of stuff, too, when it comes to cyber warfare. And we talked about mm-hmm. that, I think, last year, pre-pandemic and everything. But 
this is how countries are kind of dealing with conflicts. And you could go back to Stuxnet and what uh, the U.S. government and Iran did um, or did with Iran's like nuclear program, I believe. And Mm -hmm. it's all kind of all ties back together. I do think like we're starting to see the point where this stuff affects real people um, because. Yeah. China, this this uh, malware was affecting hospitals. It was affecting, you know, important things and important institutions during the middle of a pandemic. So just mm. somebody hacking into a power supply could risk lives, you know, and could cause further so, yeah. Yeah, injury to people. So it's it's crazy. It, this is the world we're in. But I want to point out, like, yeah, this stuff is happening. Uh, you may not hear about yeah. it as much compared to a lot of other yeah. things. but. I hope we're thinking about our own like infrastructure and other countries are thinking about their you know, infrastructure Total, security I, better. Yeah. To bring in a little bit of perspective here, like yeah. Singapore is freaking tiny. We're surrounded by water, but not potable water. And we have very few like lakes or anything. We barely have a lake. We have reservoirs. <laughs> so we're actually super reliant on Malaysia, which was our farmer like we used to be a part of Malaysia and we're no longer a part of Malaysia but we we are super reliant on them for supply of drinking water actually mm-hmm. so there's like giant pipes that run across what we call the causeway which is this bridge that links the two together and like the fear the goal of the Singapore government has always to be like no we need to find an alternative source of water for our entire country because you cannot rely on another country for something as vital as your source of drinking water and similarly, mm-hmm. India cannot afford to have China be infiltrating its power grid. So whether it's India needing to step up its cybersecurity and its its privacy measures, or also China just needs to not be a dick. But yeah. th- there's just so much here there's to a lot really going on think there. about. <laughs> yeah. There's just basically a lot countries, <laughs> governments. Don't, cannot use outdated tech. Just stop using your outdated, old, super insecure tech. (laughs) This is something we brought up before, too. And I do think, like, moving forward, we need to start treating cyber, like, we need to start treating malware like this that can cause cyber attacks almost like nuclear weapons. Like, there needs to be, like, more of an understanding and a broad... Yeah, a broad set of rules that every country kind of acknowledges when it comes to this stuff, because just, just... a couple of people hitting buttons in China can lead to deaths in other country. And mm. same, the same, like that seems kind of crazy to me. Crazy. It, um, crazy. It, yeah, we, we are not prepared for kind of what all this stuff means. Uh, mm. Let's move on to another quick story that mm. I guess a big story that dropped this morning, right before our podcast uh, <laughs> square is buying a majority stake in title for the equivalent <laughs> of like $297 million in cash and stock. Let me say that again. Square, yeah, the Square. online like yeah payments processor, the company behind Cash oh. App, now owns Title, the music service. I'm just very. There's a lot of like, huh, going on this morning. I woke up to this news. Uh, there's a photo of like Jack Dorsey and Jay Z in a in like a <laughs> dining room together with wine, and just like it's begging you to like just caption it of like what they're thinking Insane. of each other. Bomba but. Clap. Yeah, yeah. So I think Dorsey is kind of positioning this as a way to, like, you know, pay artists more directly. I don't, you know, this guy is just like a billionaire with his fingers in many pies at this point. And people talk about him, like, splitting his attention between Square and Twitter and not really paying attention to Twitter. And this just seemed like another thing that he's hmm. going to be playing with. Um, 
I don't know what this means. This is very strange to me. I have been thinking that like Title as a standalone company probably can't stick around for too long just because Oh yeah. There is so much like Spotify has much more money. Like there's so much stronger competition and Title is all about like high quality music from like uh that's owned directly by a lot of artists. So yeah. They were trying for something very specific. I did not see this end coming, but uh, I don't yeah. know. Let's see I, I uh, mean, talking, where it goes from here. Talking about paying artists and Jack Dorsey mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff, it reminds me of something we haven't yet talked about on this podcast, I think, uh-huh. which is the, the rumor or the testing of tipping on Twitter. Um, sure. Which sounds very much like what like Jack Dorsey seems to be <laughs> trying to do here with artists on music services like Super titles. followers, so, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, you you know, you get rewarded for being on their platform by mm-hmm. getting money from these followers. Yeah. So that's, yeah, we should talk about that at some point. Like, that is like a fundamental, it does kind of go together. You're right. And it does, I don't, like, of. as a person in media, I'm not going to be doing super followers or anything, but I think for a lot of creators mm-hmm. and artists, it could be a thing. It's an alternatives to like the newsletters that a lot of, uh, even journalists, like a lot of people are moving towards yeah. to get paid. I'm all about people getting paid, so that's fine. Don't just yes. produce content yes. for free on Twitter. Uh, yes. But yeah, this I'm still trying to wrap my head around the title thing. I don't <laughs> know what a lot of this means, but um, yeah, expect more commentary and stuff coming soon. I feel like everybody's spending their morning just wrapping their heads around this news. So yeah, yeah. do you have anything to add on this, Roland? No, not on this, but I know that there's a bit of news that broke last night, too, after we were done planning this uh, episode that got me a little bit stoked. I don't know if I'm stoked or not yet, uh, yeah. but Dev, do you want to tell people what it is? Sure. Like, so there have been rumors that Nintendo's working on a more powerful or larger Switch, and I feel yes. like it is coming into fruition right now because Bloomberg reported last night that Nintendo has begun production of a Switch with a 7-inch OLED screen. Samsung Ooh. is producing the screens. Um, we don't have many details about the hardware. It sounds like it's still going to be 720p in portable mode. Mm. But that OLED screen means things are going to look a lot better. Colors are going to pop more. Uh, there's going to be a lot better contrast. And certainly yes. daylight play is going to be better. It should use less energy. Um, but the other kicker is that when it's docked, it should output 4K, which yes. raises a lot of questions I don't think, like, I feel like this can't be the Switch 2 or something, right? I don't think Nintendo's going to bifurcate. Yeah. Well, Switch 2 would mean a full sequel, right? I don't Mm -hmm. think we're there. It is probably something more like a Switch Pro or the name I'd like to see, the Super Switch. Um, Like, a slightly more powerful, slightly more modern, you know, device that still plays all the existing Switch games. And... I don't think Nintendo's going to leave the Switch hardware behind anytime soon. Like, developers will still have to target the original Switch that was released, what, right. five years ago at this point? Right. Um, so we're kind of getting there, um, or four years ago, I guess. Uh, it is getting a little old, but I think as a platform, it's very healthy. Like, there are still great games coming out. Um Graphically, sure, it can't keep up with the PS5 and Xbox Series mm-hmm. X, but that's never been the point of the Switch, and I don't think Nintendo has to play that game. Maybe for that 4K docked functionality, that could have slightly better upscaling than what the Switch has now. Because actually, there are a couple companies that are basically producing these little dongles that attach to the Mm. Switch's HDMI port to kind of sharpen the graphics, just like add a little Mm. better upscaling. So I could see that being a thing. Certainly, I cannot imagine a Switch powering like an actual 4K rendered game. That seems ridiculous. Um, at the very, I feel like Nintendo just needs to target 1080p, a smooth, like solid 60 FPS. If they can manage that, 
then that's going to be great for anybody and you can upscale that to 4k just fine do you are you thinking of upgrading at this point Trillin? like what are you so excited about here I, I uh, still am not very sure if this is a 4K TV, to be honest, that I have over here in my house, even though it's a new one. I think it's a 1080p uh, LED. It depends on how um, old it is, but yeah, we can we can always Google old. your your model number and we'll see. Pretty, pretty, pretty old. Uh, it's pretty, pretty 1080p, pretty sure. Uh, but but so for me, functionally, that would be Doesn't a useless matter. upgrade. Yeah. And also, I haven't traveled with my Switch a lot. Back mm-hmm. when I first got it, oh God, at the start of 2020, mm-hmm. um, I was planning to travel with it. And then in those cases, the 7-inch OLED would make a difference. Mm-hmm. Right now, though, I'm not so sure. I, I don't know if I'm going to get one the second it comes out yet. But mm-hmm. it's exciting just because, you know, of all the console <laughs> s- sort of consoles, this, is the one you this love. is the one that I have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It's, it's kind of, I mean, having, I feel like I just reviewed the Switch Lite. You know, that doesn't feel like it was that long ago. So if it ends up being a portable device that is maybe slightly bigger than the Switch Lite, but not as chunky as the original Switch, yeah. like with the slimmer bezels and that OLED screen, I do feel like people are going to jump on that. It does remind me of like um, the long lost PS Vita uh, that console was amazing. It had a beautiful OLED screen, and I'm still sad <laughs> Sony killed that. So that felt like our our precursor to the Switch almost, because that was yeah. such a powerful, good-looking console. Um, but yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on this. Maybe we'll have a new Switch soon. Let's move on to what we've been working on. Um, I can't wait. Just, just a bunch of stuff. This week has been super busy for me. So I, I covered... The Microsoft Mesh News. Go check out my reporting around that. I am working on a gadget piece and something we called an IRL about how we live with mm-hmm. devices uh, around the Arlo cameras, specifically the Arlo video doorbell and um, some of the outdoor cameras. So that's going to be a quick thing. Uh, I found that to be super useful around my home because I didn't want ring mm-hmm. cameras. And I'm also going to be working on a list of like things you can buy if you've just picked up a new OLED TV. Sherlyn, what's up with you? Uh, I have been working on, so fair warning to my friends who are always uh, looking for secrets. There will be a lot of stuff coming up. Let's just put this out there. Y'all are going to be excited. There are gadgets. You know? Gadgets are coming. There yeah. are gadgets. But right now we're still in a half lull, half like I can do whatever I want. Um, so a very interesting product was announced this week. I can finally talk about it. The Gatorade GX Sweat Patch. It was announced on Monday. <laughs> I have been testing it for a few days. Uh, and boy, oh boy, oh boy. I have questions. I, uh, <laughs> uh, you, tell me your questions first. I mean, what what the hell is this? Why would I want a patch <laughs> from Gatorade on my skin? Like, this feels like yes. a idiocracy joke. You know, it feels like uh, yeah. it's just something to tell you you need more electrolytes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It weird as heck. It is mm-hmm. weird. And uh, Gatorade, right? Yeah. They want to get you to be drinking more of their juice punch things. So sugar water. They made yeah. Yeah. sugar water, electrolyte patch, whatever. So basically, they made this patch that you stick on your inner forearm. It's like a, I don't even bigger than most coins, but small, like, yeah, it's okay. that, that sort of almost Looks thumb like size patch. A big square band aid almost. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a big square band-aid. And then you stick it on your skin. And there's a dye uh, pack on the underside that, uh-huh. uh, as you sweat, 
it will fill up the patch okay. and show like how much you've sweat and like what the composition of your sweat is to know <laughs> if you you know how much you need to hydrate back and what your body sodium uh, output mm-hmm. or loss is. So it's, it's kind of like a UX. It's UI for your water loss, which <laughs> I feel like is just sweat. Literally, sweat, like nature's UI for telling us we need more water (laughs) is to sweat. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's your notification, your alert, right? Mm -hmm. Here's here's the issue, which is I, for for this story, I have received four patches to test. (laughs) One of them just did not work because Uh I am not a sweaty person. I just... uh, I'm all flowers and fresh yeah. air. Until I we go to really until we go to Taiwan for Compu or, or Computex. Yeah, and yeah. then that's yeah. like freaking. Oh my sweat. god! Maybe yeah. because I grew up in Singapore yeah. and that's what I'm used to, and that's mm-hmm. what when I will sweat. So I don't. You should have gone to a sauna. You must have a sauna in your fancy apartment building. I wish. I wish. <laughs> I wish I could have said I could be bougie enough to be like I have a sauna. So no. So I. Um, had to do a lot of like studies. I I like did a lot of looking up like what causes difference in sweating between people and mm-hmm. and climate and stuff like that. So yes, men generally tend to sweat more than women do. Um, you obviously sweat in more in warmer temperatures and more like the different climates. And then you know depending on the activity. So according to Gatorade, this patch will only work if, outside if the temperature is between forty six and like seventy five degrees. Which like what? I don't know why there's an upper limit. Useless. There yeah. shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But I'm not gonna question that too much because we didn't hit 75 here in the New York area. Uh-huh. Um, but I was working out at the gym for like an hour and a half, and my gym's like between that, like within that range, and I just did not sweat enough. I literally, <laughs> I took a photo of it and it was like, "Sorry, no data." B word. Work harder. And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, they were like, yeah." Shoot, I was like telling our editor, I was like, "This first patch didn't work." He was like, "Work harder." <laughs> I yeah. Was like, I just don't sweat a lot. Um, so the second time I tried to test it, I had to bump up my apartment temperature to like the highest my thermostat would that go. Would do it. And yeah. like, yeah. it was sort of. And then I started working out at home and mm-hmm. I did, I just, listener, viewer, all of you, swear to God, I did like, what did I do? I did like, okay, a few like um, <laughs> Oculus to um, Supernatural workouts, mm-hmm. which in the past usually makes me sweat a lot. I sweat was pouring down my face, my neck, my back, but not my inner forearm. I don't sweat on my inner forearm. I'm very confused. So, about, are these things one-time use? Like, how often yes. are you switching these up? Okay. So every time you use them, you dis- they're disposable. You dispose of them. So the I, yeah. I managed to get a result finally after doing a hit workout, which I hate. I hate hit, but I did a uh-huh. hit workout in my burning high intensity apartment. training workout. High intensity, high intensity interval training. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, finally got some results, but I still basically don't sweat a lot. So y'all are gonna get a very sweaty video from me soon enough. I'm going to test it again today for a video. Yeah. Stay tuned for Let that. Let me just say be, for the yeah. record, I hate this. And I feel like this thing should burn in a fire because what? It, yeah, this is exactly what we need. Disposable tech from Gatorade to tell you to drink more Gatorade. This is everything that's wrong with us right now. It's a, it's a yeah. good line I shall use in my in my yeah. article later later today. Um, but anyway, that's coming. I'm working on that and a bunch of other stuff that's coming up that I can't talk about just yet. So okay. stay tuned for all of that. Very cool. Well, let me give you a break, Sherlyn, so you can catch your breath and uh, <laughs> switch your Gatorade patches. Let's move on to our pop culture picks. <laughs> I'll talk about what I've been watching. Uh, one thing I think everybody should see. 
is the Billie Eilish documentary that is on <laughs> Apple TV Plus right now. It's called The World's a Little Blurry. This thing is two and a half hours long. It is so long, it actually has an intermission in the middle, uh, which is pretty wild. But it's a documentary <laughs> that looks at Billie Eilish's career kind of from as she was becoming popular and before um, she, like, as she was working on Bad Guy at the beginning and then post-Grammys, post, like, her super popularity and kind of cuts between early and later Billie Eilish. And I love her music. I love, like, the work relationship she has with her brother Phineas. Um, it's a really... Just if you dig her music, I think you'll find a lot to like here. I think it is a good enough documentary to really get more people into her stuff. And um, I just want to say I really like her family. It's really it's really mm. cute because she travels, you know, she tours with her mom and her dad. And they're all like very supportive and very earnest and very like emotionally aware, which is something we don't typically see with very young, successful pop artists. Right. Like either the parents are too demanding or the parents are like absent and then they have terrible people mm-hmm. around them. But it kind of seems like, you know, I don't I think they're probably just still living in the same old like tiny house that she grew up in in L- in L.A. Um, it's all very modest. Like uh, they're very like I don't know. They, they seem like a nice family, just like a very sweet family. Uh, they were both homeschooled, both she and her brother. So they never actually went mm-hmm. to real school. So her parents like clearly made some choices for them along those lines. But this is at least seems like a sweet story of a family dealing with their daughter becoming a super huge, tremendous pop star and how she deals with that. Um, there's a I, moment here. I'm yeah, curi- go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I'm curious if you've watched any of the other recent celebrity documentaries, like the Paris Hilton one, the Britney no. Spears one. I saw a bit of uh, Britney Spears I was going to see how that compared. Yeah. I saw a bit of yeah. Britney Spears one. That one is more about deconstructing like how we treated Britney Spears, whereas this the one's media, like, yeah. Billie Eilish is on the rise. What you know? How is this affecting her? So it's more personal, I'd mm-hmm. say. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's more hopeful because the Britney Spears one also just made me really sad about our media culture. Yeah. Um, we'll say like there there are a couple points during this movie where it's just like you start to realize how young Billie Eilish is. Like at some point, she runs into Orlando Bloom. Who just like you know meets her and says, "Oh, I love your work and everything," and he kisses her, and later she's like, "Who's that? Who's oh, that guy?" No. And then um, people My like OG to be like, "Crush." And then people Orlando. like to be like, "Oh, he was the guy in Pirates of the Caribbean," and uh, she's like, "Oh, why or doesn't Lord he? Of the Rings. Why doesn't he look like that anymore?" Just like absolutely dragging these stars. Um, yeah, yeah, it's kind of she, she. She was really excited to see Justin Bieber. Oh like, man, uh, the Justin Bieber the moment, which is I yeah. Not a, I'm not a huge Justin Bieber fan. I don't know really too many young, you know, teens or tweens that are. Mm-hmm. But she was somebody who was obsessed with him to the she point was. where, like, she would fantasize about him being her boyfriend. So there's a <laughs> section in the middle of this movie where she meets Justin Bieber for the first time. Just the way she, like, falls apart. Just, like, it is pure just bawling into her arms. And, like, he is – he comes across as a pretty good guy. And this like, he's pretty sweet and supportive and gives her support as, like, I know what you're going through. You've never like this is world changing and everything like he's there to kind of step her along the way. It's all very sweet stuff like that. And I'm hoping for the best for Billie Eilish and uh, and her family, because, yeah, I feel like bad things tend to happen to young stars when they get super mm-hmm. popular really quickly. I'm thinking of like Amy Winehouse and a lot of other folks. Mm-hmm. And this does not seem like that story. So, yeah, it's great. Check out this documentary. It's on Apple TV Plus right now. And I also want to mention uh, just real quick, Lee Isaac Chung's movie Minari is Mm -hmm. out on video on demand. Uh, We just reviewed it on the Slash Filmcast. It's about uh, a Korean family who immigrates to America, uh, you know, with the dream of starting a farm in Arkansas. And it is a film that's very much about like 
the immigrant dream, the American dream, and also, yeah, very specifically about Asian families coming here and dealing with a country that finds them all very, very different and uh, out of sorts with the rest of America. I found it really lovely. Um, like I found a lot to uh, relate to as well because I immigrated to this country with my family. Uh, our experiences are very similar. Um, not the farming thing, but also just feeling out of sorts in America. This movie also has a great performance from Steven Yeun, who I think mm. I I love. I love as an actor. It's also really weird to go from a movie like Burning, where he plays like a elite sociopath, like just like an upper crusty psychopath in a way, um, but quietly a psychopath to this movie where he is just like a good, like a dad, like a good immigrant dad with like immigrant dad energy. He's very sweet. He's kind of tough at times. Like it, it, like it goes places like the marriage is not fully together because of the struggles of immigrating to America and just surviving here. So I highly recommend it. Um, I think this is one of those $20 rentals right now, but if you've got the money, if you haven't spent much on movies, you know, over the past year, it is worth checking out. Uh, it's a very sweet film. It's called Minari. Sherlyn, what have you been watching? I uh, have been spending the last few days, I guess, catching up on old stuff. So don't have fresh stuff by way of um, recommendations okay. for you guys. But, but, but I did set aside two things. So I've also been going a little crazy ham on Duolingo. <laughs> okay. <I> to- <laughs> hey, hey, productive Inst- gamifying. That, yes, good for you, exactly. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, so instead of learning just one language at a time, like most normal people, I am currently learning three. Oh I've made like a bunch of progress in Spanish. So I'm like, all right, I'm, uh, I need a bit of a challenge. So I decided to re-up my Japanese. And mm-hmm. so like I'm back on Japanese. And also I started to learn Korean. And Korean, I know people say or think it's easy. Le- Gosh, it's hella hard to learn Korean. It's <laughs> ridiculous. I thought you were going to be like, because I'm going to go the- French next and just do all the really hard languages all together. Like, that's you're oh, really going to test yourself. Yeah. I was very lucky to grow up l- having, like, being just fluent in Mandarin, which is mm-hmm. one of the most difficult languages mm-hmm. to learn. But anyway, so Korean, and then I, I re-upped my Bahasa, which is uh, Indonesian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to see how dual, and then also for fun, I decided to take on Chinese because I wanted to be like, Duolingo, you're wrong. That's not how Chinese people say this thing. And, and um, but uh, never, it, it, Duolingo yeah. definitely teaches you awkward ways to say things. Let's just put it that way. But, it is still a good way to familiarize yourself with like all these basics of a language. Um, I feel confident if I were to go to Spain again for MWC <laughs> that I can get around just fine. Oh, nice. And yeah, so I, I mean, I know we're not going anywhere yet, but we are. Soon. You're, you're ready to go soon. everywhere. You're ready to go to, yeah. from Spain to Japan to Korea and then back yes. home to Amazing. Indonesia. Yeah. So yeah. so. I why not why not pick up a language now you got like about uh-huh. a few quite a few months left to pick up a new language there's leaderboards I'm at the top of my leaderboard right now because you're really channeling your person. overachieving uh school energy here so I love totally. it love to totally. see it uh, um, anything else the, really? <laughs> yes one more thing which is I wanted to let you help relax uh-huh. um YouTube recommended this to me last night which is how I came across this this is called uh, a, a channel called the icing artist and it's basically this woman who's really good at decorating cakes and cookies and other pastries. And it's so therapeutic in a way that, like, <laughs> it's art. It's just art, right? And it's not like a TikTok video where it's over in, I don't know, under a minute. This is like a full-on 10-minute video where she's just like, 
putting the finishing touches or like just taking a cake that's so basic and then making it look like I don't know Legos or whatever I I first watched the series of her turning $20 grocery store cakes into $500 wedding cakes and I'm just like what did you know you could stuff flowers into a cake to upgrade the hell out of them no I did not know this Uh you could gold leaf onto a cake I just anyway it was, you, it was really very, it's also like nice. the uh the everything is cake meme you're just like really leading into exactly. that now yeah exactly you so, want everything to so be cake. this yeah when you're not hungry when you're like you know on a full stomach and you're just wanting to relax and you know just watch some art and she's really cool she's not like there's a whole like process to her to how she does all of these things it's not just like a competition baking show thing it's really just for you to watch how a cake gets decorated um I, I found it very therapeutic. So enjoy the icing artist on YouTube. Well, that's it for our episode this week, everyone. Thank you as always for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terence O'Brien. This podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Davindra online at... At Davindra on Twitter and chatting about movies and TV on the slash filmcast at slash film.com. I was also on Twit this week chatting about all sorts of stuff. So check that out at twit.tv. If you want to test me on the five to seven languages I'm currently learning, you can hit me up. I'm at Sherlyn Lowe on Twitter. Email us at podcastandgadget.com. Leave us a review, please, on iTunes. And subscribe on anything that gets podcasts, including Spotify. Target the muffin shoe, f- muffin shoe, muffin, muffin shoes. Yeah, <laughs> muffin <laughs> shoes. Business idea. You heard it here first. <laughs>